this week, Mark 9, 14 through 32. When they came together with the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive the spirit out, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and the spirit saw Jesus. It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell into the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long, has this, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help, my, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked much like a corpse, and many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where he was because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Thanks, Amanda. Good morning, everyone. I'm David. Daylight savings. Yawns are totally cool. No worries. Uh, totally fine today. Uh, any day. You guys can yawn. I don't, I don't take it personally. Um, we're working our way through the book of Mark, the life and ministry of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, and how he invites us to enter into it today, uh, and enter into uh, his story. And if last week was a mountaintop experience, if there ever was one, they went up on the mountain, actually literally, and the great transfiguration of Jesus, God pulled back the veil, we said, and showed us not, uh, he, didn't, he didn't terrify us with his judgment. In, in, in fact, he showed us quite the opposite, that he came to bear our judgment in our place. And uh, instead, uh, pulling back the veil to overwhelm us with his love. Jesus' glory shone with absolute radiance, a mountaintop experience. If that was a mountaintop experience, today we are back in the valley. Uh, figuratively and literally, Jesus is coming off uh, the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And here's the scene. This man has brought uh, his boy to Jesus. Jesus is not there, so the other disciples are trying to help him. They can't do it. The religious leaders see blood on the ground, and they pounce. They figure, aha, see? Jesus is not legitimate. His followers can't heal this guy. And the crowd, being as ever swayable as it is, is saying, ooh, ah, maybe, yeah, maybe Jesus isn't legitimate. And, and so there's all this happening. There's this valley of a moment. Last week on the mountaintop, this week into the valley, which is so helpful because isn't that life? Well, we just sang about it. Mountains high or valleys low. Uh, life is constantly filled with ups. One day you're on the moon, one season you're on the moon, and then the next you're plummeting to earth. 
And I feel like it's almost intensified here in the Silicon Valley, these highs and these lows, is it not? Because of the immense pressures and the you know, anxieties and, and intensities that, that uh, exist here for all, for all the reasons you know. Uh, today is Jesus showing us uh, what we can do when we're in the valley. And uh, the best part of this is, is it gets kicked off here. The very second verse is, as soon as all the people saw Jesus coming down from the mountain, this is verse 15, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. In other words, the greatest object of desire here is Jesus, and he meets us in the valley. And so what we're going to see today is, is if you're in the valley, if you're in a life valley right now, what Jesus calls you into what he invites you into. If you're not in a valley, uh, hopefully you won't be in a valley soon. We don't wish that upon you. But uh, for when you are, or even right now, to help uh, folks, even in this room who are in valleys, uh, many of whom I know you're, you're facing valleys right now, uh, you can be there to support them and help them. But what we're going to see in this text is Jesus uh, calling us what, what he's after when we're in the valley, what he invites us into, and uh, why that matters. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father, uh, Life has a lot of valleys. Uh, that's just, uh, many of us here today, no doubt, are experiencing those. But we're just so thankful that uh, you don't leave us there. You don't abandon us. You, you meet us in the valley. And so, Lord, as we look at your scripture, would you give us your spirit now to help us understand what you'd have us take away from this? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is Jesus after in the valley? Uh, when we're facing uh, the valley, let me read some of the scripture again. Uh, just to set the scene. So as soon as they saw him coming down, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Verse 16, what are you arguing about? He asked. The, a man in the crowd te- uh, answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes, seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they cannot. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been like it? Been, been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Uh, It seems to me, verse 14 is pretty telling. Uh, Excuse me, verse 19, Jesus in response to the crowds, not understanding what's going on, says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? It really gets to the heart of the matter of what, what Jesus is after. This story is told in three of the gospel accounts. Uh, Mark, of course, here, as we're looking at today, but also Matthew and Luke. And what's interesting in Matthew and Luke, if you, Luke, if you read this, you can check this out on your own time, chapter 17 of Matthew, Luke 9, is the climax in those stories, those telling of the story is, and the boy was healed. But in Mark, that's not the climax. That's important. That's very cool. The climax in Mark is, and there was faith. Because what Jesus is really going after is faith. And this is what he's driving at in his interaction with this man. How long has he been like this? He asked the, asked the man, asked his father. Uh, what he's doing, I, you know, I was sitting there in my office this week studying, like, wh- how does that push the story forward? How does that push along the narrative? Why would Jesus ask this question? 
I mean, Mark is not one to mince, I mean, add fluffy details. Everything he's chosen from the accounts, he's recorded for, for very real purpose. And so I was like, why is Jesus asking this? He's asking this to draw out this man's story, to draw out what's going on in this guy's uh, situation, in his heart, in his spirit. And what the guy says is from childhood. Now, this guy was obviously very, very desperate, right? I mean, this guy, not only was his child suffering this way, but he had to, at times, he mentions here, watch his son literally try to kill himself, throwing himself in the fire and water. I mean, could you imagine being this father? I mean, that would just wear you out in all senses, emotionally, spiritually, probably affect you physically. And of course, this little boy, how desperate he is in, what state he is in. Uh, what I love to think about is we know, without a doubt, how Jesus must have been feeling at this point. Even if you were to say, David, doesn't describe here in this text what Jesus is feeling, we know. Why is that? Because we've been going through the book of Mark, and we've seen how Jesus interacts with folks and how he feels in other circumstances. For instance, over the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus, even with a crowd that is hungry, doesn't have enough food to eat. You know, uh, he wants them to be able to listen a little bit longer or, or hear what he has to say. And he's filled with what? You guys remember? Compassion. Gut-wrenching compassion. I need to feed these guys so they can hear what they really need to hear. How much more so must Jesus have been feeling for this man and, his, and this boy as desperate as, as they are? And, of course, that's on every single page we see of Jesus' life and ministry uh, with others. He cares deeply and intimately, personally, for each person who approaches him. He feels the same way for us today. Um, but here's the thing. It seems to me we can believe, if, if we're in a situation like this father or even this boy, it's been happening since his childhood. It's been happening for a long time. We can grow to become desperate. In what in, and in those valleys, we are tempted to believe one of two lies. The first lie is God can't do anything about it. Otherwise, he would. Or the second lie is he doesn't really care. Otherwise, he would do something. But what is happening in the valleys often is God is more interested in something else that is, that is occurring, and not just what we think, what we've identified our need to be. Uh, he is he's interested in something else because God knows you better than anyone. Actually, he also knows you better than you know yourself. And I believe that's the point. He wants what's best for you. There's promises all over the Bible where he wants the, what's best for you. And sometimes the valley can include what's best for you, as hard as that is. Um, and what he wants to provide for us, what he wants to invite us into, is giving us, calling us into faith, believing in him, trusting him, which will help us through any of the valleys uh, you face. Uh, to skip a little ahead in the narrative here, uh, this is what was going on with the disciples towards the very end that Amanda read earlier. Uh, did you notice that the disciples tried to cast this demon out, and they had trouble? And then verse 28, they asked Jesus, what gives? How come we couldn't drive this demon out, which makes sense. If you've been with us, you've known that Jesus at times sent the disciples out with authority to heal people like this little boy. And they had been able to do it. Mark 6. And so this time, they have legitimate confusion. Jesus, why couldn't we have done this? What's going on here? Check out Jesus' answer. This kind can come out only by prayer. Only by prayer. What does that mean? Like, what, what is Jesus getting at there? I think what he's saying is, sometimes 
victories aren't won so cheaply as be gone or snap our fingers and we're better. But we have to commit them to prayer. We have to commit them to faith. We have to co- there's a process there. There's a relationship in trusting God because he's more concerned with us and our growth sometimes than the healing or provision itself, which means if you're in a valley right now and you're with your career, maybe it's relationships at the work site. I know a number of you guys are there. Or maybe it's your career just trying to figure it out, the trajectory of it or how it's going to play out. Or in relationship, there's, you're in a valley there. Or spiritually, you're in a bit of a, a, a valley. Uh, wherever it is, uh, you can trust him. Jesus asked, how long? And the guy said, since childhood. I, I love how my, my dad's put it over the years. Uh, I, I never forget how he said this. He said, son, sometimes faith can be agonizing, which is so helpful. Is he saying faith is just bad, don't do it? No. He's saying sometimes it really stretches us. Darn it. But that is good. And that is helpful because God is doing something. If you've ever wanted a quick fix, boy, do I sympathize with you. But sometimes God leads us into the valleys because he wants to do something greater in us. One last thought here from the text before pulling this thought together. Uh, Check out verse 20 if if it'll be on the screen. Uh, Thank you, uh, uh, those in the back uh, helping us. Uh, It says, so they brought the boy to Jesus. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Check out the sequence. So this boy, in the state that he is in, the issue is brought before Jesus, and it gets worse before it gets better. Is it not? And what struck me today as I was going over this, to think, thinking about this and preparing uh, for today, is and Jesus is having this conversation with this guy while the boy is still convulsing on the ground. Isn't that fascinating? And yet Jesus is working this through, and he's playing it out. Um, one biblical scholar put it this way. This indicates how the presence of God can produce storm and stress before anything constructive is accomplished. Uh, as much as we would love to not think it this way, it makes sense. Sometimes when we're in the valley and we've identified this need or that need, what God is really interested in is rooting out something in our lives, something in us or around us that he's more concerned about than that need or, or that that, we, that we've identified. Like a surgeon with his surgical tools cutting out to bring healing. And this makes sense. I mean, relationships are this way, are they not? Think about your sweetest friendships. Uh, you know, oftentimes they are better or the best for having gone through a little bit of conflict, have they not? Um, for those of you who are married, you no doubt know this. Uh, you, you go through things and you're just like, oh my goodness. I mean, there's, just, there's not a week that goes by where I'm not realizing, oh my goodness, I am just this jacked up in this area. And Cindy is putting up with me and gracious to me. And our relationship is strengthened because of it. And yet on the other side, hopefully, this little selfishness of me or whatever it might be has been rooted out. That's often how it works. And that's, by the way, why we, we what we want here in this church here at Current. We are a church family. And sometimes everything's, hopefully most often, everything's are great. And relationships are building and forming. But it's those times in the valley when we invite folks into it, in your current groups, or maybe even here on a Sunday or a coffee out uh, throughout the week, when we invite people into those hardships, or even times when we have some hardships and conflict together, when we stick at it, the relationships grow and the bond grows all the more. Uh, Families are great examples of that. 
But sometimes as we grow up, we just say, you know what, I don't need the siblings anymore. It's just too much work. But often what God is doing is he's working in us through the valley. Um, the first thought here, oh, by the way, is, uh, let me just quickly summarize this, this thought. Does that mean that the promise is, if you just really push through, if you have faith, then everything will work out the way that you had hoped it would hope work out? No. That's not the promise. The promise is even better. The promise is, Romans 8, 32, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Even if it's not the way we'd script it, it is actually even better. Um, so the first thought is, in the valley, uh, what Jesus is after is faith, of course. Uh, the next thought we get to see here is when that faith is imperfect. This is my favorite part of this text. Uh, Jesus asked the boy's father, verse 21, how long has he been like this from childhood? Verse 22, he throws himself into the fire. Verse 23, uh, excuse me, he says at the end, take pity on us and help us. Uh, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. What, what did the man exclaim, this father? Uh, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Talk about imperfect faith, right? To me, this is an absolute game changer. Because religion says, many Christian churches will say, if your faith's in trouble, if you're in the valley, here's what you have to do. Muster up enough faith. You need to have more faith. And by the way, the quality of your faith needs to be better. You know what the problem with that line of thinking is? It is absolutely crushing. Because nobody has faith like that. To be clear, it's the faith Jesus is after. Jesus wants that faith. But what we see here in this text is Jesus is absolutely gracious. Imperfect faith is enough. Jesus, I don't, I, I sort of believe here. I'm not, I, I don't know how it all works out, sort of, not really. Can you work with that? And Jesus heals the boy. It's enough. Uh, imperfect faith is enough. Take this phrase, verse 23, which is pretty critical to, the, to this text, understanding it. Um, everything is possible, Jesus says, for, for one who believes. What does Jesus mean there? How do we interpret that? It seems to me we can interpret that one of three ways. And I, I wrote this on here to help us visually, because um, I'm kind of a visual guy. I wouldn't follow this otherwise. Uh, everything is possible for the one who believes. Jesus could mean I, Jesus, can do everything because of the amount and quality of my faith. Is that what Jesus is saying? Or is he saying everything is possible if you have the right amount of faith and, and the quality of your faith is good? Or does it mean everything is possible if you, have the, if you have faith in what I can do for you? It cannot mean, number one, I, Jesus, can do everything because of the amount and quality of my faith. Why not? Because in the guy's interaction, in his response, he would have totally disregarded what Jesus was saying. He doesn't talk about the quality of Jesus' faith. He talks about it. He says, I don't have faith. Help my unbelief. And for Mark's part, and we've seen this going through the, the, the writer of this gospel, we've seen this throughout this whole text, if this guy was off in interpreting what Jesus said, it's actually about Jesus' faith, not his faith, Mark would have pointed that out. He doesn't hear. So it can't be the first. The second one, everything is possible if you have the right amount of faith and quality of faith. 
that doesn't work because this guy disqualifies himself. He says, I don't have that good of faith. That, that can't work. It must mean, number three, everything is possible if you have faith in what I can do for you. And this seems to work perfectly because it puts emphasis not on the degree or quality of faith, but on the relationship of trust between this man and Jesus. And it also fits with the narrative perfectly because it allows for the battering of faith that this man had to have had. And he calls out, verse 17, Teacher, I brought you, my son, verse 18, I asked your your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. I don't really have the faith that I, I probably should have, but here you go, can you take it? And it's enough. Why? Because Jesus. The main point here is the miracle does not depend on the degree, the quality, or the amount of our faith, but on the power of the Son of God in whom we can place our faith. In the valley. And to, to me, I, this is just, the implications for this are just completely amazing and astounding. I mean, you can pray this prayer. God, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And that will be enough for him to work in your life, in your valley or in the life of someone else that you care very much about. Let me give you a personal example of my imperfect faith and God showing up. And it's in a, and I imagine a topic or an area of life in the Silicon Valley that is very relatable in terms of being a valley, and that is the housing market. We just moved this last week into a new place, and it is nothing short of a miracle. About a year and a half ago, the time frame is about that, uh, Cindy and I, in starting this church, uh, setting out to do this whole thing, the scariest piece of the whole thing was, where are we going to live? <laughs> and how are we going to live where we think we should live? How is this going to work out? It was the biggest thing, and at that time, I was thinking about my little guy, who was then four years old, Caleb, and thinking about the life of a pastor's kid, which I'm actually a pastor's kid, and uh, knowing all the stories, and knowing all the deal for pastor's kids, and knowing that pastor's families, on average, are a little bit more nomadic, and all that sort of thing, and just thinking, and I, I prayed this prayer, I said, God, we've moved any number of times, Caleb's changed preschools any number of times, and by the way, if you're a parent, you know how... Uh, every time you change a preschool, you're just holding your breath to see, is he, is he, is he okay? Is he not? It, all these things. God, you know this. Would it be possible, you know, is it possible? This is how I prayed this prayer. Would it be possible, you know, in the next little season to be settled? And I remember even as I was prayed that thought, this is in, into my mind, putting quotation marks around that, settled. I don't even know what that means, settled. But that we'd be settled by the time Caleb starts kindergarten. And I finished that prayer, help my unbelief. Not because, hey, one day I'm going to be preaching this sermon. Just that's, I was thinking about this text, help me in my unbelief. And so how that played out, uh, and I'll go through this real quickly, is at that time, we didn't know where we were going to live. We felt like we should be pretty close to, to the, here, uh, here in Mountain View. God opened up the place that we've been at the, uh, right across the street, Rinksdorf, uh, for the last year, which has been awesome, not only in, in meeting our family's needs, but also for the church in terms of using the club room there. I mean, Cindy and I were counting. We've used that thing like 15, 20 times all for free. Club rooms are not free in this area. The month we're leaving, they said, okay, we're going to start charging a couple hundred dollars for you guys to use this. And we're like, okay, we don't need it anymore. Fine. And so we're like, okay. Um, and so about this time, though, the, 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 during this whole process, the clock is ticking, okay, because Caleb is five and then, right, kindergarten's coming along. 
And about this time, we're starting to feel a little bit of stress and pressure. Like, hey, what are we going to do next? Because it's going to be, we, we know we can't stay here. The lease is getting ready to go. You know, the number is going to go off the roof for, for monthly rent and all that. And about this time, Cindy's mom came up to us. Uh, she had mentioned this before, but she came up real seriously. She said, she said, I don't want you to wait for me to die. She said it that way. Um, Cindy's, Cindy's dad, if you know our story, uh, uh, passed away a few years back unexpectedly early. Um, she said, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want to buy a place with you. And I'm sitting there, and when she told me that, I'm not a very emotional guy. Um, I started tearing up. And the reason for that was not because of her generosity, which floored me, okay? That floored me. I started tearing up because it was in that moment that I recalled the prayer I had prayed however many months back. Help my unbelief. And I was like, oh my goodness, it is actually possible to maybe resettle this. Now, I would like to say that from that moment on, in looking for a place to live, my faith got super strong, everything was great, everything was fine, you know, we're getting beat by all cash bids and all that sort of stuff, which is like such classic areas, it's ridiculous, that I was like, you know what, it's okay, God showed himself to be here, we're fine. No, I was like pulling out hair, super stressed, angry, and frustrated at times. About a month ago, however, uh, just an amazing thing happened. We got a place, um, and what, what floored me about this is, number one, it's right next, our, our neighbors are, are, are close friends, which was not a part of the plan, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, it uh, has a room available for, Cin uh, for Cindy. Cindy's mom is going to be able to stay with us, which that's awesome. We didn't think that was going to happen. Um, I just want to make sure I get these details because it's too good. Uh, we will be paying less a month than if we stayed at our uh, Mountain View apartment. And get this, we won the bid on the exact day of kindergarten registration. Like, isn't that crazy? Yeah. You know what you're clapping for? God's provision minus my perfect faith. He, he provides. And it was on the, it was literally the week we had to move out. Like, the timing worked out perfectly. I do not think it's a coincidence that the Lord had me studying this text this week. I do not think it's a coincidence that the Lord had me preaching this sermon right now to you all. I don't know what he wants to do with that, but you can trust him. You can place your faith in him in the valley. It's not always going to turn out the way you want it or how you thought it, but he, he can work with imperfect faith. Because it's not about the quality or degree of your faith. It's about his power and him showing up. And I would like to think that through this experience, I can draw more from his strength. I, I mean, I've been given a gift, even through all the pain, anger, and frustration through this whole process, I've been given a gift of looking back over the story and saying, okay, God, you, your hand has been so clearly evident in my life. That is a gift. Would I have asked for that? Not based on the conversations I was having and all the feelings over here. And yet, I now have that. Uh, Cindy and I have that. I, our family has that and, and, and so forth. Uh, Jesus and his amazing grace, uh, for, for him, imperfect faith is enough. And I love this thought here. Uh, you could trust him and you can pray like this father, help me overcome my unbelief. Because within the relationship, there's room to grow. It's built in. Help me overcome. Jesus wants, invites us into that. He said, he didn't say to this guy, you don't have good enough faith. Next. He said, okay, that's enough. We'll work with that. 
because remember the first lesson we talked about when Jesus started teaching the crowd all the way back in Mark 4 was when faith is like a seed. It just grows. And God works with it and is gracious to us all the way through. Uh, final thought, in the valleys, here's why we can have imperfect faith. Uh, it seems to me here at the end of the text, it is no coincidence that at the end of the unfolding of all of this drama, this man, the boy healed, the disciples trying to figure all this out, these, this, this valley of a moment, that it's then that Jesus says in verse 30, they left that place and passed through Galilee, Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, and here it is, the Son of Man is going to be portrayed into the hands of men. Um, They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. It is no coincidence that Jesus takes this moment to immediately talk about his death and resurrection. Why? Jesus cares about your valleys. Every time anyone in the scriptures any, uh, any of these stories of someone bringing a valley of a moment, physical ailment, spiritual work, emotional, anytime anyone brought any sort of valley to Jesus, he provided for them. He took care of them. He cares about those things. But you know what he cares by far most about is the great valley we all face, and that is the valley of sin in life. You know that famous line, even if you haven't you know, read the Old Testament before, you've heard it in the movie, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We can pray that prayer because Jesus went through and overcame the valley of the shadow of death. And so we don't have to fear evil. He took care of the greatest valley so that any valley we face, he's there with us in it. We can trust him, take care of him. And he doesn't invite you to place, place your faith in him in ways that he hasn't himself had to experience. Jesus knows what it's like to face any kind of valley that you and I face. Did you notice, for those of you who've been here and you've paid attention, when, this is not the first time Jesus predicted his death. Um, did, did you notice the new detail he adds here when he predicts his death? The first time he talks about the deliver, he'll be delivered into the hands of men. He will be betrayed. I can't think of a lower valley than betrayal. You know, someone you just love, you're so close to, they not only just turn their, their back on you, they stab you in it. Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. He knew that valley. And then on the night of he was betrayed, he wrestled with the thought, everyone, uh, everything is possible for one who believes. He knows the tension of that. He's lived through that. Because in the garden, Jesus was, he, he came and looked at the cross. He understood what he was getting ready, get, what he was getting into. He faced it, and he prayed, God, Father, this is just a lot. Looking at dying on the cross for the sins of the world, I don't know. How he prayed is, may this cup pass from me. I'm not so sure. And yet he went on to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knows what it's like to go through the valley. Jesus knows what it's like to not have things scripted the way that he, his own self, would like to script them. But trusting the Father for the sake of God's glory, his own glory, and for loving others. Here's the absolute kicker. And if you can't do any of that, listen to this. Paul said, writing to the church, here's a trustworthy saying. This is 2 Timothy 2. Even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. So what are you facing? What valley do you have right now? Are you 
in your relationship with God or trying to figure out a relationship with God. Like, I don't know, God. I, don't, I got a lot of doubts here. I'm not sure I, this, the, the death and resurrection, I'm not sure. You can give that to me. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And that's enough. Or, by the way, are you, and I know there's a number of you, thinking about someone in your life, just, they're no way, never going to understand God's love for them in my life. Someone I love so much, they're never, you can pray that prayer too. God sees that prayer. Even when we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Let's pray. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Jesus, you are the object of greatest worship. You came to be in the valley with us. We do not deserve it. You didn't just say, muster up faith, because I'm a perfect God, and I deserve that. You do deserve that perfect faith. But you also recognize, we can't muster that up. We can barely muster up imperfect faith, and yet the gospel is, on the cross, you died to remain faithful to us, even when we were faithless. So, Lord, we love you. If there's anyone here today, I want to give you an opportunity. You can receive that love. You can... You can enter into his family. The promise is to whoever receives him, to those who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And on di in dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Life that we experience now, but life that we will have forever. That death itself will not hold us back. But we have a relationship with God the Father forever. If you would like to receive him, put your faith in him to in, in him today, imperfect as it might be, I want to give you the opportunity with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. You can raise your hand now. I will see it and pray for you, but more importantly, God will see it, and he will receive you uh, in your heart's posture into his kingdom. If any of you would like to receive the gift of life in Jesus, you can raise your hand now, and I'll pray for you. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Father, for those who have placed their hope and trust in you, imperfect faith as it might be, would you encourage them that we can put imperfect faith in you because you are the perfect Savior. Lord, thank you for the life that you've given them. Thank you for the life you've given each of us who placed our faith in you. Uh, we don't deserve it. And, and uh, so I just want to pray, God, as a church, would you help us just to follow after you um, for your goodness sake, for your love. And we thank you that uh, this is not about us and what we can do for you, but it's what you've done for us and are just reflecting that to others. Go before us in all this, we ask in Jesus' name.